My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Well, we are today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you guys want to turn there, we are specifically uh, going to be in verse 18. Uh, We have come thus far in our study, and as you can see, our theme for the book of uh, 1 Corinthians is represent, uh, because uh, Paul is trying to get the church at Corinth to represent Jesus correctly, uh, represent the gospel correctly more uh, so than anything. And so uh, he's trying to uh, get them to do that. So there are some things that he needs to point out. um, And we're going to be looking at several things through the the book of 1 Corinthians. But um, starting here at the kind of the beginning, uh, he needs to address some division that is in the church. And so that's kind of what he spends the first really three chapters doing. Um, is addressing some division, and we get to see kind of his train of thought and where it goes and things. Um, and uh, so, you know, I just, uh, I'm excited to see kind of where where he goes with this. And I love what he says. Um, he's just, uh, I know he's led by the Spirit in all this, but he's just a very wise person, um, and, uh, and, and we would do very well uh, just to take heed of everything that he's saying here. Um, basically, let me kind of um, begin... Uh, this section right here. Uh, well, last week we, we saw that, you know, they were bragging about uh, who they followed, right? And some of them were like, well, I follow Paul. And some of the church in Corinth was like, you know, bragging about how they follow Peter or how they follow Apollos. And there were people who were bragging about, no, I follow Christ. And, uh, and Paul kind of lets them know, he's like, look, guys, did Paul die for your sins? No, like I didn't do anything. Like we're just people. And, uh, and so, you know, he's, he's starting into this because this is the first place that he wants to go talk to them about the division that's going on in the church. They're being divided because you've got camp A over here who is like, oh, we're going to be in this clique. Uh, And then you've got camp B over here who is like, we're going to be in this clique C and D. And they're not unified. They're not together. And it's almost as if this click, and you guys have seen it, it's like this click is talking about this click, this click's talking about this click, and everybody just kind of unifies in their own little click based around who they're following. And Paul is basically saying to them, that's not how church is supposed to work. That's not how things are supposed to be. Like you guys aren't supposed to be divided within the church. You are, as Christ is one body, he says, you are one body. He was like, whenever Christ resurrected, was Christ broken up into parts and then dispersed? He's like, no, that's foolishness. He's like, he has one body. His resurrected body is a whole body. Therefore, the church, which is his body, is supposed to be unified. It's supposed to be whole. It's supposed to be intact. And so... um, and, and again, it's very important to remember uh, the context in which they were living. So we're talking about like modern day Greece here, right? Uh, which, by the way, a really cool story. Um, we were in uh, Windsor Cafe. No, wait. What's the one on Prospect Park West? Windsor Cafe? In Windsor Cafe, I was checking out, um, and the guy asked me how I was doing. I was like, good. 
He's like, yeah, summer's winding down. I was like, yeah, it is kind of winding down. We got another vacation, but yeah, it's winding down. He was like, oh yeah, I guess it's winding down for me. I just got back from vacation. I was like, cool, where are you from? Uh, or where did you go? And he said, I went to where I'm from, which is Greece. And I was like, no way. I was like, I pastor a church and we're talking about Corinth right now. And he looked at me and he was like, whoa. He was like, I grew up like an hour from Corinth. And I was like, no way, that's really cool. And so I was like, you got a lot of Bible history there, like a lot of stuff. He was like, yeah, yeah, we do. You could tell like that wasn't a part of his life. But uh, I still thought it was so cool that he grew up there. But that's, so he grew up a couple of hours from Athens then. And that's kind of, if you guys remember, and I'm sure you do back to your school days, for some of us, it's not as hard to remember back that far. But um, whenever you studied like philosophy and stuff, you, you studied people like Plato and you studied like, Aristotle and Socrates, right? Um, movie reference right there, Socrates. But anyways, uh, but yeah, you studied like, uh, see, that's another age thing. You got to be in a certain age to know what I just said. But you had all these philosophers that were like, you know, um, basically coming up with their own school of philosophy. And based on the things that you came up with, uh, you would garner followers, and so, like, if Plato was coming around and, you know, people were saying ridiculous things like, is that chair really there? Or, like, is, you know, if, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, did it make a sound, right? And then, and then so whatever, whatever philosophical idea you could come up with that would cause people to be like, that is so good. That then you would kind of maybe get, you know, like a follower here and there. And people were proud of who they could get as followers and how many people they could get as followers. And a lot of people mistaken Jesus for that. Like, oh, he's just one of the teachers. He's trying to get a follower. Like, that's our society today. Like, that's what happens. That's who these people are. Uh, these people are following Jesus. Great. He's, he's becoming a very successful teacher. And... Uh, and so whenever the people were saved in Corinth, whenever Paul planted that church, they were still very much in that mindset of, 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 of high thinking, if you will. Like we've got we've to think about things and, and we've got to have these lofty ideas and, and whoever has the loftiest idea, we're going to follow that person. So the, the way they lived, they brought that into the church. And so while they had camps, you know, outside of the church before they were saved of philosophers and thinkers that they would follow, well, now they're Christians. And so they're going to follow these philosophers and they're going to follow these thinkers, but they've got to be Christians now. So they're like grabbing a hold of whoever they can grab a hold of. And so you've got Paul, you know, who comes in, he plants a church. He's got great teaching. And so you have these people that are like, well, I'm going to choose to follow Paul. I'm going to choose to follow Peter. I'm going to choose to follow Apollos and so on. I'm going to choose to follow Christ. And, and in the realm, in the secular realm, whenever they lived in that, there was very much competition between them and you didn't go and talk to there was rivalries you didn't go and talk to the people who were in that camp because they were inferior uh, because you saw things the true way and these people were inferior so that's what you have kind of going on in this and and so the reason Paul is addressing this here and he's he's addressing division in the church because they've brought that into the church and, and that's not of Christ. And so it's almost, you almost don't want to fault them for it because that's just kind of how they grew up and, and nobody really told them any different. And I don't know if Paul didn't see maybe that coming into play. Maybe he did. Maybe he talked about it a little bit, but no matter what, it was into play now. So Paul needed to write them and say, no, 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 that's your old way of life. That's how you used to do things, but that's not how you do things anymore. So some of you say, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. So what he's realizing 
is he's understanding that they're all about wisdom. That's, the, that's kind of the big word. That's the buzzword is wisdom. Everybody is like looking for the most wise teacher and the wisest thing that's being said. Because again, that's how you, you set up your identity was in your wisdom, in your knowledge. All right. So it was very uh, much a big thing and a good thing to be wise then. And so they were seeking wisdom. And in this seeking wisdom, it was causing division in the church. Now, the only wisdom that they knew was worldly wisdom. That's the only wisdom that they knew until they met Christ. And then there was a completely different wisdom. And that's kind of what Paul is talking to in these next couple of chapters. He's like, there was a wisdom that you knew, and now there is a different wisdom that, that you know. All right? And so as we get into that, it's important to remember these things because the same, the same thing still applies today. It, it, it works exactly the same way today. There are different, there are two types of wisdom in the world today. There's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom of God. Those are the only, those are the only choices you have. And what is the wisdom of the world necessarily? The wisdom of the world is whatever man can conjure up in his own mind. So it's not like, it's not like this person has a specific wisdom of the world. No, it's all just man-centered thinking and man-made uh, thinking about answering all these questions that we all have. So you look at the world one way. If you don't see it through the lens of Jesus, then you have to come up with a way to think about things. And that's worldly wisdom. So what are their answers for things? And then you've got, but if you've got a different worldview, if you've got a different lens in which you look, through th look at things, which is through Christ, well, then now you have a completely different type of wisdom. It's a biblical wisdom. And if you guys notice, the worldly wisdom and the biblical wisdom do not match up. They don't go together, right? They're like oil and vinegar. They, they just cannot mix and so here he is talking about all of those things and all of that wisdom. And now he's going to play to them and he's going to say, hey, let me just show you what God thinks of worldly wisdom. All right. And so that's what he's going to kind of play to here in this section right here. So if you guys will turn with me uh, to verse 18 and we're going to start there. Actually, let's back up real quick to verse 17 because I want you to see what he says here. Uh, he says, um, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And listen to this, not with words of eloquent wisdom, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul is saying, hey, listen, all of you guys who are seeking all this wisdom, think of the wisdom that I brought to you whenever I preached Christ. He's like, they're really, you can't say that I said all of these lofty words and all of these things. He was like, it was actually pretty simple. So all of this wisdom that you guys are seeking, why are you seeking it? Because actually Christ is found not in that wisdom, not in that lofty thinking. Christ is actually found uh, in a very simple form, in a very simple way of thinking, Christ is found. All right. So uh, let's go to 18. And this is what he says. Um, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So that's his message to them. So let's kind of break this down just a little bit, chunk by chunk, and kind of see exactly what's being said here. So let's back all the way up to verse 18, and I love this. And the way that I studied it this time, uh, it's, it's, I didn't study it this time in a way that I normally study it. Um, I, 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 I went straight to the word and I literally went through and just was going word for word, thought for thought, because every word matters. Every word that he's saying is on purpose. Have you guys ever written an email? And uh, how many of you guys just flippantly write an email? Any of you guys? Probably not. You probably labor over every single word choice that you use whenever you're texting someone something important or you're emailing something someone important. You probably are like backspacing. You're probably like, oh, it's not the word that really conveys exactly what I'm thinking. You know, oh, let me write that. Like, so every single word in scripture matters. He's, he's, it's the same way. He's not just throwing words out there, right? So whenever we look at this, we're going to break this down. Um, and just see exactly what's being said, okay? So verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, all right? So the word of the cross, right? Whenever he says the word of the cross, he's speaking about, uh, it's any speaking about the cross intelligently, all right? Any speaking about the cross of Jesus intelligently or speech about the cross in general, Okay, so whenever he says for the word of the cross, he's literally saying for speaking about the cross, any intelligent word that is spoken about the cross, what does he say? It is folly. It is folly, which means just absurd. It's absolutely senseless. It's absolutely foolish. And you will appear outside of your mind if you speak about the cross. The word of the cross is folly to who? To those who are perishing. It's absolute foolishness. It's absurdity to those who are perishing. Who are those that are perishing? It's the people that don't know Christ. It's pretty simple. All right. They're lost. They're headed for destruction. But he says, but to us who are being saved, right? So it's, it's Paul. It's everyone who is walking in the path of righteousness. They're being saved, right? It, what, what is, what is it? The word of the cross. Okay. It, the word of the cross is the power. Speaking about the cross is the power to those that are being, to the lost, it's foolishness. To the lost, it's absurd. You sound completely outside of your mind whenever you talk about the cross to a perishing people. 
but to a people who are being saved, and we can all testify to this, to the people who are being saved, it is the power, the achieving power. The cross has the ability and capability to accomplish and reveal everything man needs for life and everything man needs to know, including how to be saved. It is the power. Like, where does the power come from in the gospel message? It comes from the cross. To everyone else, it seems like foolishness, but to the people who are being saved, it is the absolute power. Everything hinges on the cross. Everything hinges on the cross. If Jesus wasn't crucified, we have no salvation. If he wasn't resurrected, we have no salvation as well. Paul even said we're to be considered, we, we are to be pitied among all men if Jesus was never resurrected. So the cross is the power of God, right? So the manner in which God accomplishes his will. So the word of the cross is fallen. And now that's important to know that because there's two types of wisdom, right? There's the wisdom of the world and what do they think about the cross? Their only conclusion they can come to is its foolishness. It makes no sense. It does not fit the narrative in which I see things. In which the way I make sense of the things of the world, this does not fit the narrative. It's absolute absurdity. And anyone who believes that Jesus died on the cross and rose again is just believing in fairy tales. Have you guys heard that before? Yeah, we hear it all the time. It's absolute foolishness is what they say. But guys, but we sit back and we can't say anything except for, nuh-uh, nuh-uh, no it's not. Why? Because we, like you can't experience something that you've not experienced. Like you can't, what am I saying? Like you, you, you can't know what we're talking about unless you've experienced it. But every believer, you walk to any believer, any person that's a Christian and you say, the power of the cross, you know what I'm talking about? They're going to say, yes, I know what you're talking about. You walk up to a lost person, the power of the cross, they're like, you are crazy. You're outside of your mind. And then he says, for it is written. And again, remember, they're, they're big on wisdom. They're big on that, on that, on that wise speaking, okay? He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, right? It's written where? In the Old Testament, all right? We're gonna look at some scriptures in a second, exactly what it says. But he says, it is written that I will destroy, I will ruin what? The wisdom. I will ruin the understanding. I will ruin the intellectual thinking of the wise. Those people that have come to all these conclusions on their own outside of scripture, I will ruin, ruin what they are calling wisdom. He will ruin it. Those who are, those who are not of Christ yet consider themselves incredibly wise. And we've got some wise people, right? We look at these people and we're like, wow, they are smart. But there's a difference between smart and there's a difference between true wisdom, all right? And, uh, and so the so-called wise conclusions that men have come up with, they're in opposition to what God's wisdom is, which is found in the message of the cross. And, uh, left, so, and, 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 and again, listen to this, left alone, all right, man must come up with answers and explanations for everything. That's what you're left with. You've, you have to come up with some sort of explanation for what's going on in the world. And so that's, if you, if you were to sum up the wisdom of the world, it's a collective thinking of what's going on. What's going on, right? Like that's, that's what people's wisdom is. How does this work? How does this work? What's going on here? We've got to come up with some sort of answer for that, all right? And he also says in the discernment, 
right? That reasoning, that perception, that comprehension, that understanding of, of the discerning. Um, and those are the, the smart people, the thinkers. He says, I will thwart. I will thwart their discernment, right? I'm just going to make it completely null, void, and it's going to be exposed as just misleading um, and, and to man's limited understanding. So in Isaiah 29, 14, uh, you know how earlier it said, it is written. Listen to it, it that is written. Uh, Isaiah 29, 14, therefore behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. But there's some other places in scripture where God talks about this as well, that the the uh, wisdom of man. In Job chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, he frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 9, the wise man shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord so that wisdom, uh, so what wisdom is in them? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, uh, it says this, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise from the, uh, and understanding and revealed them to little children. To little children. So how simple is the message of the cross? It's so simple that a small child understands it better than a grown adult. A small child who hasn't been sitting in the world with all of these philosophical ideas, listening to all this rhetoric from all of these teachers and these so-called experienced people who have gained so much wisdom and so much discernment that you guys constantly see all the time, right? We're a little bit jaded as we get older, right? Because we have experienced life. But the message of the cross is so simple that even a child is able to understand it. In fact, I would say so much, so much so that a child is more able to understand the gospel and to come to know Christ than an adult. And studies have been shown that, that, that between the ages, I want to say between the ages of like eight and 17 are like the most formative years that if you can get someone the gospel between the ages of eight and 17, there's a greater chance of them coming to know Jesus than after 17. Because after 17, they've lived enough life, they've heard enough opinions, they've heard enough talking about nonsense, about quote-unquote wisdom of the world, that it's harder for them to then trust that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's no other way except for through him. Because they've seen wise people. They've, they've sat under teaching of teachers uh, that um, speak ill. I had a teacher whenever I was in high school uh, just thought it was foolishness. The cross was foolishness. And uh, if I didn't already know Christ, I might have listened to him. Why? Because he's put up on a pedestal to me as someone who was wise. And so I'm going to listen to him, right? But it's so simple that in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3 through 4, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying there? Unless you turn and become like children, what does that mean? He's talking about in, in your innocence, in your believing the gospel. If you will become like children and you're believing the gospel, you will then get it because it doesn't take much wisdom to understand the gospel, right? Basically, the message of the cross is simple. 
Yet people try to overcomplicate things. The message is simply this. There is a God. That's pretty easy. Your sin has put you at odds with that God. And your conscience bears witness to it, if you listen to it. Therefore, you need to be reconciled to God. Pretty simple. You somehow have to make up for your sin. And the truth is, you can't. But God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you repent from your sin, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. If you put your faith and trust in the work of Christ on the cross, you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will inherit the righteousness of Jesus. That's a pretty simple message. It's a very straightforward, very simple message. And if you will come to Christ like, with faith like a child, you will believe it. But the thing is, is that people are seeking all of these different wisdoms and all of this lofty thinking and everything. Um, and, and the thing is, is you'll be given the Holy Spirit in that moment and you will have the wisdom and knowledge. I can't wait until next week whenever we talk about the wisdom and knowledge that God provides by the Holy Spirit. Like where does our knowledge come from? We're going to talk about that more next week uh, and, and how we get to experience that knowledge. But it comes through the Holy Spirit, spoiler alert. Um, but here's the thing. If you don't believe in God, then you have to come up with your own wisdom based on the information given you in the physical, all right? Which by God's grace is more than sufficient to lead you to him. Like God is so good that even in the physical, if you see things, it should lead you to him. But if you reject that inner voice that God has placed inside of you that says, oh, wow, look at creation. There must be a creator. You have to come up with your own meaning for life. I don't want that job, but that's what people are doing. They're coming up with their own meaning for life. You have to create your own purpose and you have to draw your hope from the temporal and not the eternal. You have to draw your hope from the temporal. That is so incredibly not fun, all right? But in the end, the truth will be revealed, the end being death or the return of Christ. It's all going to make sense and the wisdom of the world is going to be foolishness. The discernment, the discerning, the, the, all the smart people is going to be made foolish. Why? Because they're all going to have, have come up with all of this wisdom, all of this knowledge that all of their years of life have brought to them. And they're going to be just, they're just so smart. We are so, so smart. And where has their smartness left them? It has led them to there is no God. There can't be a God. It doesn't make sense that there's a God. You're telling me that all these things in scripture actually happened? Ludicrous. That's absolute foolishness. Somebody died on the cross. That's absolute craziness. That's absolute foolishness. Here they are in all of their wisdom. One day they are going to perish and they're going to be standing before God and their wisdom is going to be completely erased. They're going to be just seen. It's going to be made foolishness. All of their wisdom is going to be made foolishness in that moment. And... Us as believers, I don't know what age you got saved, but we gained all of this quote-unquote wisdom up until the moment we were saved. And when we were saved, what did we have to do with all the wisdom that we gained? Throw it away. Because it was a lie. Everything that we believed and everything that we learned and all the wisdom that we gained, right, was just not true. So you throw it out and now you have to begin wisdom all over again through a completely different worldview. Um, so it doesn't take eloquent wisdom, right? The philosophers of the day and age, they overcomplicate things uh, and they seek truth where it can't be found in the world. And so they're led on a huge giant goose chase and the real answer is right in front of them and they just scoff at it. They're like, oh, it's foolishness. It's complete foolishness. So in verse 20, he says, where is the one who was wise? 
that one who is enlightened, right? The understanding, the, the intelligent person, the philosopher, debater, the smooth talker. Where is that scribe? Where is that scholar, right? That teacher, the one who takes record of all of these things. You're so high in education. Where is the debater of this age, the one who reasons and defends your high and lofty and brilliant point of views, and you, dis you dispute so, you know, so skillfully your opposing side, which is those Christians? He says, has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? He's like, hey, church at Corinth, think about this. All, you're, you're so divided. You're so divided on all of these people that you say you follow. Why, why are you still seeking wisdom as Christians like you were whenever you weren't Christians? Why are you still seeking these things? He's like, hasn't, has not God made foolish, complete foolish, the wisdom of the world? In other words, when you came to Christ, don't you see that all of the wisdom that you gained is foolishness. But all these smart people say that it's smart and you're listening to them. But what God is saying is it's complete foolishness. So it's kind of funny because you've got the wisdom of the world proclaiming that the cross is foolishness. And then you've got God proclaiming that the wisdom of the world is foolishness. One of them is foolishness, right? That's what you're left with. Something's foolish. And it turns out it is the way of the world, the thinking of the world. Um, in verse 21, he says, For since uh, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, quote-unquote folly, of what we preach to save those who believe. All right? Um, so basically, he's saying God's wisdom was to not let the world come to a knowledge of God through their wisdom. That's God's wisdom, all right? And it actually pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe, okay? So the wisdom of the world, the greatest, smartest, best conclusions this world could come up with failed to lead them to know, all right, to, to understand who God is. The wisdom of the world, it failed them to understand God. And, and this was all on purpose is what this scripture is saying. Like God made it happen that way. That's in God's wisdom, that's how he created it to be. And the world will never come to know God through its own wisdom, not on its own. In fact, it led them completely the opposite direction. So the world's wisdom led them away from God. And not only that, it led them to opposition of God, so much so that the gospel they would call absolute rubbish foolishness, all right? And that foolishness is what he's saying, that quote-unquote folly that we preach is what saved you. So actually, what brought you to a knowledge of God and meaning and purpose and made sense of life is the foolishness that everyone, that the world is saying that this is. That's what brought you life, is that quote-unquote foolishness, right? And it pleases God to use the so-called foolishness to save those who believe. It was his plan all along. I love that because, I don't know, maybe it's just the, the, the part of me on the inside that likes to see the underdog win and the person who is the bully necessarily lose like, I'll, those are my favorite movies, right? Whenever it's like you've got the little weak guy and, and he's got no chance of winning anything and you're just rooting them on, right? A, a movie that we saw just recently, which was a true story, was Miracle, Miracle on, no, what's it called? It's the hockey team. Is it called Miracle on Ice? Okay, for some reason that was Disney in my head, like, Miracle on Ice, <laughs> you know? Uh, but like, is it just a miracle? I don't know. See, now we're both, yeah, okay. 
But you guys know what I'm talking about. It was like the 1980, what, four hockey team. And uh, they ended up beating the Russians. Okay, good. I want to make sure I'm not falsely talking here. Ended up beating the, have I seen? <laughs> I've heard it's good. <laughs> no, we did. We saw it. But I remember, I remember watching the movie, just loving that movie because I'm all about the underdog. And maybe that's why I love this scripture so much. Because it's like God is almost like, look, all of you people who consider yourselves so prideful because of your lofty knowledge and you consider foolishness the things of the cross, how ironic that it's the foolishness that makes you look foolish. And how ironic is it that, that life comes from that foolishness? And, 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 and how crazy is it that they seek wisdom their whole entire lives to come up with answers to life and they just come up short every single time? And in context specifically in this um, section of scripture where they live, in verse 22 and 23, he says specifically, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ." Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So let's talk about it for a second because these, because it, I mean, quote unquote, wisdom and, and philosophy and everything existed among the Greeks. It, it existed among the Jews as well. And so he's saying the Jews, it was a stumbling block, the, the, the message of the cross. And for uh, the Gentiles, it's just foolishness. It's folly. So why didn't the Jews believe? What was their problem? Well, they weren't looking for a Messiah who was born in Bethlehem in a Nazarite, all right? They weren't looking for him, a Jewish carpenter who looked like they do, lowly and meek. They were looking for someone who was obviously the Messiah, right? Uh, like he, he was going to show up and people were going to go, that's the guy right there. They were not looking for who ended up showing up. Someone, they were looking for somebody who was a great warrior, uh, who would take down their oppressors, the Roman Empire, uh, just like God did in Egypt. That's what they're looking for. And so whenever Jesus shows up on the scene, he's a stumbling block for them because it's not what they expected. Uh, in fact, there, his message was, was forgiveness of sin. That was his message. That's not the message they were looking for. That actually is a letdown for them, that message. Um, it, that, basically, they're, they're like, that, that's the freedom you offer? Like, here we are in a very t a hard time, right, being just oppressed by the Roman Empire as Christians, and you're showing up saying, I'll forgive you of your sins. That's your message. That's the freedom that you offer. You're not offering freedom from oppression. And then they're going to say, no, thanks. You're not the Messiah that we're looking for. That's not it. We're looking for a greater sign. So you can't possibly be the Messiah. And the Greeks, like we've kind of been talking about, they're not impressed with something so seemingly unsophisticated, all right? Uh, a criminal, right? Jesus, a criminal who died the most embarrassing and humiliating death known to the Roman world at that time. That, he's wisdom? Like that's the wisdom of God right there of the world is a person who let themselves be crucified in a most embarrassing way. This great teacher, that, that's who we're saying is, is true wisdom? Is this person? I don't think so, right? That's not the answers that we're looking for. That shows no sophistication to allow yourself to die on a cross as a criminal, like, no, absolutely it's not. So they think it's absolute foolishness, right? He wasn't even smart enough to talk his way out of being killed. 
But then again, he says in verse 24, but to those who are called, right? Those who are invited basically as to a banquet is what that means. Those who are welcomed, those who are appointed, both Jews and Greeks. Well, you've got the ones that don't believe. You've got the ones who do. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So you've got the Jews who are unbelieving, the ones who are looking for a different sign. You've got the Greeks who are looking for this wise person. They would have believed him if he was wise and they consider everything foolishness. But then you've got the saved Jews and you've got the saved Greeks. And what do they understand? They understand that Christ is the power of God. They understand that Christ is the wisdom of God. All right. That's the power that the, the Jews were looking for. It's in Christ. Um, and uh, in verse 25, he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser I lost my place. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I love that. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It turns out that the foolish things of God are actually wiser than the wisest thought of men. How funny is that? The foolishness of God is, is wiser than the wisest thought of any man. And this perceived weakness in the crucifixion is actually stronger to accomplish anything any man could ever accomplish. You see the crucifixion as weak? That's how you see it? That's, what, that's how the Greeks see it? Like you see it as weak? Oh, on the contrary, it's the power to save for eternity those who put their faith in Christ. It is the It is the substitution for your own sins. Like that, that is what the cross is. And you're trying to tell me that that's foolishness. Oh, it is not. It's the most powerful thing that could ever have happened in the history of mankind. And you're saying that it's weak. So why is he saying all of this? Because they are, again, they are seeking wisdom from men. All right. So just like they used to do. So uh, the Christians, right? The church people are seeking wisdom they're seeking strength, they're seeking signs, power, all in human efforts, all in strength and, and wisdom. And the same thing happens today. The church still looks for wisdom in places it should not be looking for wisdom. We've all fallen for that. We all look for wisdom in places that people have no business looking for wisdom. Because guys, again, let me tell you something. The wisdom of man will never lead you towards Christ. It won't. Only the wisdom that is given to you by the Holy Spirit will lead you to Christ and lead you towards Christ and lead you towards godly things and lead you to unity, all right? That's where we need to be looking always is in Scripture, all right? And a lot of, a lot of times today, like Christians, they're looking for like the newest fad in teachers. Like, ah, who's the newest cool preacher, right? Who's the one everybody's following now? Who's the one that, um, you know, is saying the new things and saying things in a different way. And, oh man, we got to check this guy out, right? Who's the, who's the pastor with the one-liners that, you know, he, we follow him on Instagram and he's got these great, you know, one-liners all the time. And it's like, man, we just want to follow that guy. And, uh, and, the, and again, the, the pastor who, who has fresh thinking, the one who hasn't brought, you know, I've never heard these things before. This guy is making so much sense. Um, but, and, and let me tell you guys, this. There's nothing new under the sun, all right? There's, there's just nothing new under the sun. Um, no one today is going to seek in the scriptures. They're not going to look and they're not going to find something orthodox or true that hasn't been taught before. 
It's just not going to happen, all right? So if a pastor divides a scripture like a certain way and it takes off and it becomes the hip new way of interpreting that passage, chances are it's not correct. If it's not been heard before and it's not been taught before, then chances are it's not correct. You, you really do need to make sure that you take whatever it is that anybody says, including anything that I say, and you examine it through the light of scripture, all right? We've got to make sure that we do those things. Um, because chances are it's not going to be, not going to be true. So, and, and, I'll, and also, let me just make mention of something else. Um, scripture is the be-all and end-all of wisdom, okay? If you want to be wise, if you want to, if you want to find wisdom, you will find it in scripture. That's the only place that you're going to find scripture uh, because that's God's revelation to us. So everything that happens in life should be filtered through scripture. Everything that happens in life should be filtered through scripture, all right? So when it comes to politics, in what side is right or wrong, okay? God's wisdom, and I'm just going to say this, is not found on Fox News or CNN. God's wisdom is not found in those places. Now, can you find some smart things and some good points? Sure, but you're never going to find it. You're never going to find the wisdom of God. You know what you find in those places? Man's wisdom. If it's an unregenerate, unredeemed person speaking to you and telling you what you should believe, you should not listen to them without consulting scripture. That's the place that you need to go. Always you need to go to scripture, right? I'm not saying it's wrong to watch those channels. Watch whatever news program you want to watch, all right? But you better take everything said and filter it through the word of God, all right? Um, you want to know what comes from the wisdom of God? Because guys, let me just tell you this. Watching news programs and then, you guys ever know how like sometimes you leave church and then you're like, all right, let's go. Like, let's, let's go share the gospel. Let's go. Like, I'm fired up. I've, I've got the fuel that I need to, you know, to go out and to reach people. Like, let's do it again. That fuel is a good fuel. That fuel to go and reach people for Christ is a good fuel. But if you walk away from something fueled to fight, that's not a good fuel. And more times than not, if you're looking for your wisdom in like news programs and from the wisdom of man, it's going to lead you to fight. It's going to lead you to pick sides. It's going to lead to division. And those are the only things that are going to come from those type of things. And as believers, that's not where we need to find wisdom, all right? Uh, what comes from the wisdom of God? Bless your enemies and pray for them. That's what comes from the wisdom of God. Whenever you walk away from scripture and you finish reading scripture, I don't care how heated you are at someone, what you walk away with is pray for them and bless them. That's God's wisdom, all right? What you walk away from whenever you hear the wisdom of man is hate the other side, degrade, demean, and treat them less than because they are evil and they deserve it. That's where the wisdom of man brings you. Completely opposite of the wisdom of God. And uh, I'll put this down, but... but I understand that like Fox News is quote unquote the conservative news, uh, but I've yet to see a Christian come out of watching Fox News and then go and serve his enemy. You guys seen that ever? No, I haven't yet. All right. But I have seen people walk out of time with God and in his word and do it, but I've never seen it the other way. So he goes on in uh, verse 26 to 29 and, uh, and, and, and now understanding all of these words, this stuff just makes so much sense. He says, for, for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I love this because it's like, he's like 
jabs him <laughs> just for a little bit. It's like, Paul, are you like insulting us right now? For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, right? So he like, is this a compliment? Like, what, Paul, what are you doing here? Like, are you complimenting us or are you dissing us? Like, what's going on? So, but he's right. Like, if I turn this on myself, okay, he's absolutely right. I, and I'll do that. I, I'm going to just pretend all of you guys are so wise, okay? And so this doesn't apply necessarily to you guys, but it applies to me a thousand percent, all right? I'll be the first to admit, according to worldly standards, I am not wise. Do you guys ever feel like that? Like, do you ever feel like incompetent to do your job or like incompetent compared to all the other people around you? Be quiet, engineer over there. No, you don't. You're like the smartest person in the room. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But like, but, but so many times we, we I feel completely, I, I can't even think of the word that I need to say right now because why? I'm not wise, all right? But by every standard of the world, every standard of the world, I am a foolish person, right? Um, I was a terrible student. My ability to retain knowledge is absolutely non-existent. Like, I have the worst time. I couldn't even remember the movie Miracle, all right? I'm like, oh, I saw it, like, yesterday. Now, what's the name of it again? Like, this is, this is my brain, okay? Um, if you want to talk about government and politics with me, I'm out. Not because I'm super spiritual and I don't want to talk about government and politics, all right? I may use that as an excuse. But that's not why we're not going to talk about government and politics. It's because I can't hang. If you are like a person who is like, like all about the government, all about the politics, all about how every little thing works, all the ins and outs, and all of those things, I'm sorry, we're just not going to be able to hang out because I'm ignorant, all right? I cannot, I cannot, I cannot do those things, all right? Um, and there's a reason that there's an idiom that says it's not rocket science. There's a reason that idiom exists. What does it mean? It means that it's, it's, it's not hard to grasp, right? If something's not rocket science, you're basically saying anybody can understand this, right? And why does it mean that? Because rocket science is apparently hard to grasp. I don't know. But I, I guess it is, right? Rocket science is just very hard to grasp. So who are the wise ones of our world? They're the rocket scientists, right? They're those guys. Those are the wise people of our world. The inventors, right? Those people are geniuses. They're brilliant. You guys are all kinds of wise, right? The ones leading research in medicine uh, who have these awesome, like, I just picture, whenever you picture somebody wise, like, I just picture for some reason, like, a whiteboard and equations, all right? That's, to me, like, that's, the, that's probably what Autumn's office looks like. But, like, I, I, that, I just can't hang. Like, that's the wisdom of the world. So by every single definition of wisdom in our world, I am not wise, okay? But guess what? Because I've been given the wisdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can hang with any rocket scientist. I'm not going to sit there and talk to you about rocket science. That's outside of my wheel well, right? But at the end of the day, I don't care how many equations you solve, how many rockets you science, whatever. Like, I don't, like, I don't care how many, you are still going to have the same struggles that I have as a human being. You're still going to have the same questions at the end of the day that I'm going to have. You're still going to lay your head on your pillow at night and wonder what's the meaning of life and your rocket science is going to be unable to fulfill that for you. And so the wisdom of the world, all right? Because think about this, at the end of the day, 
where does your rocket science, where does your inventions, where does your, even for modern medicine and all the things that you figured out, where, at the end of the day, where does that leave you? The same place that leaves everybody else in the world. You're going to die. Like you're going to pass away. What good has it been? What, so you've passed on, like, let's say that somebody comes on with, comes up with a cure for cancer. Great. You've come up with a cure for cancer. Well done. When you die, what's that going to have done for you? Zero. But what you are going to have done is left a cure for cancer for everybody else. Great. Until what for them? They die. Like it's unavoidable. Like no matter what happens, it's going to happen. And here we are with the, with the wisdom of God that everybody claims to be foolishness. It's not so foolish, turns out. It turns out that God is actually going to use the foolishness of the world to confound the wise of the world. And we have that. And it's amazing. And I love that. Um, and then he goes on in verse 30, and this is the end of it. He says, uh, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. All right? Guys, we, we can sit and we can talk about the things of God and we can discuss all these kinds of things, but the truth is we didn't come to these conclusions on our own. We, the only reason we came up to the conclusions we have about God are because we are using the resources that he gave us, all right? So that's the wisdom of God. And why? So that we can boast about ourselves? No, it's so that we can boast in him. The world, it's going to boast about itself, and it's going to look at us, and it's going to say, you guys are complete fools. But we just sit back, and we boast in the Lord, and we say, thank God for the wisdom that he's given us, all right? And so again, I want to make sure that we keep this in context with what the scripture is talking about right here. But there's so much division that's going on in the church and it's because everybody's seeking wisdom elsewhere. And guys, that plays completely into where we are today. We have so much division in the church today because people are seeking wisdom in other places. They're seeking wisdom in random articles that they find on social media or on a news station or something like that. And what's it doing in the church? It's not causing unity. It's absolutely causing division. And so we don't ever need to put our trust and our faith in the wisdom of the world. Don't ever do that. Only trust in the wisdom that has come from the Holy Spirit, all right, that comes from your salvation. That's the only wisdom. We need to filter every single thing we do through Scripture. I promise it will lead to unity, and it won't lead to division. So we just need to make sure that we're doing that. And that's his whole purpose here. Why? And, and ultimately, it goes back to what our theme is, is represent. Because we need to make sure that we represent the truth of Christ to everyone around us. A divided church does not represent the gospel. A unified church represents the gospel, all right? So, we all love wisdom. We all seek wisdom, but make sure you're seeking it in the right place because in the right place it will bring unity and we will be able to represent the gospel in a right way, all right? Um, I needed to hear that message. I needed that message preached to me uh, because the world is screaming right now. The world is yelling at us right now, and it is loud, and it is really hard to hear anything else. And so we need to make sure that we keep our head in the word uh, and not listening to what's going on around us, all right? So just be careful with all of that, okay? Uh, because our job is the gospel. Our job is not to be the police of all these things that are going on. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.